Welcome to Cornerstone. My name is Todd. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, uh, if you're new, I uh, would love to welcome you. Uh, it's good having you here this morning. Um, I think one of the joys, just in case you are new and you're looking around and going, wow, there's a lot of kids in here. Yes, there are. I'm doing that on purpose. Is that I do think there's these certain times of year where it's great to just pull families together. Um, I think it's odd sometimes that we don't spend more time with kids, but uh, it's been fun having all the kids in here, and so to all you kids, man, it's great having you with all of us old fogies. So. Now here's, here's where we're going to be going, and this is important for us to kind of understand. We've been talking about this idea of uh, Emmanuel God with us. Now the people on this end, if I could, if you see these little sheets, now you listen to me before you pass though, don't pass them yet, all right? In there, you're going to find lined paper. On the back of the lined paper, it's blank. And then there's going to be some pictures for kids to color. Now, if you're a kid that can draw, don't take one of the ones that, that you are, are the prepared sheets. Let those go on to other little kids. But this is what we're going to be doing. And here's what I want you to be thinking about, okay? You're either going to draw a picture, you're going to write about it, and you can do this as an adult, or you're going to color in ways in which when Jesus came, he changed the world. He made things different. So maybe on one of you, you're going to see there that Jesus healed people. There's another one around there where you're going to see him talking to a Samaritan woman. He's, he's with little kids. But what I'd like for you to think is what story about Jesus' life blows you away the most the way that he cared for people, okay? So that's just something we're going to put in there. So if, now you can pass them. If you're a kid and you want to start drawing, you can totally draw. If you want to color, you can color. Even if you're an adult and you just want to jot some things down, that's where we're going to be going. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later as we go. But one of the things that's hit me, um, and I don't know if it's just the election season or what, our world is pretty messed up. I think you just, you, you, don't, you don't want it to be, like it's, especially like at Christmas season, you're like, oh, Tom's going to be a downer. No, I, I, and I don't even know if it's the internet, but we just, I think everybody's kind of realizing right now that our world is just kind of messed up. There's like the macro level of it, right? Where we look around our world and, and we see the fact that things just are kind of disjointed and out of whack. And then there's some evil stuff that we don't even want to know about. We don't want to see. But a lot of times we look out there though and, and Christmas time, one of the phenomenal things about Christmas time is when you pull families together and you suddenly realize that your family is dysfunctional. And by the way, if you don't think your family's dysfunctional, you're probably the one that's dysfunctional. Okay, just, just kind of help you understand there our families are kind of messed up our marriages are messed up just there's this everything just feels messed up now the beauty of what we're talking about with the bible though is there was a time in which things weren't messed up in fact the whole point of the first week was to help us to understand that when god created the world he created it good and that means it wasn't messed up it was totally, in fact, the, the way that the, the Bible talks about it is every time God saw a new day, he just said, it's good, it's good, it's good. And he gets to the very end after creating the man and the woman, and he says, ah, oh, it's very good. He, he was just trying to get us to understand that there was a time when God created the world where all things were lined up and everything was just as it was supposed to be. Now, he created it, and here's kind of our series that we're, we're walking through, right? Let me, in fact, let me throw this out to a question to the kids. Why did God create the garden and why did he create the world? Why did he? We talked about it. Does anybody remember? Why did he create the world? So 
Good, so people can live. Good. Let me ask you a question, though. Live with who? With us? That God did create the world to live with us. Like, that was one of the things we wanted to get across, is that the whole purpose of creation is that humanity might live with God. He created all this for us to live with him. Now, we talked about, though, that humanity screwed it up. We, we, we brought it from the standpoint that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, the whole world just got out of joint. All the chaos that we see today kind of stemmed from that point in which humanity decided to look at God and say, God, you know, I, I agree that you've told us to live this way, but we're going to do our own thing. And even on the, God had promised them that on the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die and chaos entered into the world. But here's what I love about the Bible, and we've got to get this into our heads as far as who God is, is that while we continue to mess things up, we have a relentless God that will not quit pursuing us. Over and over again, the Bible shows that even though we rejected God, and again, when we talk about rejection, we don't mean people standing with their fists shaking it at God. We can kind of relate to this. Sometimes it's not that. Sometimes it's just ignoring who he is. We acknowledge that he's this God and that he's there, but then we ignore him. It's this way in which we distance ourselves from him, and yet God just relentlessly keeps pursuing humanity over and over again. We see this finally in Genesis 12. We talked about that where he says to Abraham, I'm going to jealously pursue you so that you might become a blessing to the nations. He did it even too when we talked about this with his people, Israel, when he took them out in the wilderness out of slavery and he's put his tent smack dab in the middle of everything. Why? Because he wanted to be with them. I loved Kyle's story off the very front end. Wouldn't this whole world be pointless if we didn't get to share it with God? It would be like being in our house with no family at Christmas. God jealously wants to be with his people. Now here's the thing we gotta understand though is that Israel had this tendency just like humanity has of rejecting God over and over and over again. It finally got to the point that after they rejected judges, after they rejected kings, after they rejected prophets, that finally God, after they'd gone into captivity, it tells us that things just kinda went silent. Now, if you can imagine God's people who've always heard from him, everything suddenly goes silent and they're wondering, where's God? In fact, you you can see kind of in the historical literature, they kept saying to themselves, where is he? What's going on? They knew that things needed to change. See, it's kind of like we feel like now, right? We know things need to change. In 2008, we voted in a president that told us things were gonna change. And now in 2016, we voted in a president that said things are gonna change. And I hate to tell you, but we're probably gonna vote in the next one telling us things need to change. The change, though, that God was gonna bring was not outside of ourselves. It wasn't our circumstances. It wasn't trying to change things outside of us. That what God was after, though, And this is what's going to be important to where we're going today. Our problem's not out there. Our problem's in here. See, what God is after for every one of us in this room, he is going to change different circumstances and things are going to come along. And whether you're someone that's young or that's old that's sitting here today, it's not so much that those things don't need to be changed, but the thing that God is after is us. See, the people of Israel, that's what they were clamoring about. Oh, I just wish God would change our government. I wish God would change the injustice around the world. I wish God would change my spouse. 
I wish God would change my kids. I wish God would change my job. I wish God would change all these different things. And God says, I'm not into necessarily changing those things. What I'm after is I'm after your heart. That's what I want to change. Even one of the prophets, Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, when God was talking to him, he said, look, in this whole reality of what I'm pushing towards on change, the way in which we're going to have a relationship together, the thing that I'm going to have to do is to do a supernatural surgery inside of you that I'm going to have to take out your old stony heart, that heart that just continually rejects me, and I'm going to put a new heart into you, and I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God, he says. The whole point is, is this God that relentlessly just wants to be with us. In fact, the whole story is God getting nearer and nearer and nearer to his people. But the world was clamoring, wondering, what's God doing? Where's he at? They knew these promises that were told in Isaiah and Jeremiah, told us in Ezekiel that this snake crusher that we talked about a few weeks ago, this idea of one that was going to combat the snake and everything and all the sin that he brought into this world, but they were wondering, where's he at? There were all these governments that had rise and fall and everything just seems to be chaotic and they were asking the question, God, where are you? Where's your promise? Now here's the thing about God though, and those of you that have walked with him, you know this. When everything seems like God's not doing something, he's sometimes doing his best work, isn't he? God is orchestrating. Now, from a historical standpoint, this is mind-blowing. In the rise and fall of all these kingdoms that kept smushing Israel back and forth, this group, this guy named Alexander the Great comes along, and he fills kind of the whole known world at that particular time with one language, the Greek language. And pretty soon, we know the Romans then begin to get build roads and every kind of thing that was there. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 4 that at just the right time, God sent his son born of a woman. He sent him uniquely to us. Now I'm gonna have my wife, I don't know where she is, but I, I want you to get this idea of who, who God sent. So if I could have my wife come up, I'm gonna bring Jason up here. This is Jason. Don't scare him. I already scare him enough. What's up, dude? Come here, buddy. Okay, come here. All right, can you say hi to everybody? I know they're kind of scary. You get used to them. Just stare at the lights. You can't see them. (laughs) Now, the promise of Isaiah 7 that we then see come to life inside of Matthew 1, 23, is that when Jesus Christ came, he didn't come as an adult. He came as this. Now, I know sometimes we just skip over that real fast and we're like, oh, baby Jesus. No, just look at this. Can you imagine God saying, I got great news for you? I'm sending the Messiah who's going to fix the world. And he goes, here you go. (laughs) I'd be like, no, no, really. The world is messed up, God. (sighs) Not only that, but we know the handoff. This is what's crazy. The handoff happened to a couple teenagers. He handed them off to Mary and Joseph. Mary was probably 12 or 13. Joseph was probably between 14 and 16. And he goes, here, now, could you take care of the Messiah? 
But yet something phenomenal happened in that moment. That little one grew into who became Jesus Christ. The cool, what's he doing? <laughs> Here, focus on me. Here. Anyway. <laughs> This is the danger of using babies for props, right? Is there like, (laughs) when the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Somehow in this mystery that is so hard to understand for us is that while being fully God, he also enveloped him in self and flesh and became fully man. In fact, the Bible goes on to say, and we can throw it up on the screen in John 1. It talks about it this way. Old John was writing about it, and he said, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And oh, by the way, by him, all things were created. Now, can you imagine looking down at, you're not Jesus, don't worry. But imagine looking down at a baby and realizing He's the one who literally created the entire universe. (laughs) It doesn't fit, does it? But John, old John, he was probably in his, his mid to late 80s by then. He was looking back and he was knowing that people have told the story over and over again of Joseph and Mary and a baby. And in it, he wanted them to know, though, this baby wasn't just anybody. He was the Word. Now, that Word is kind of interesting. And Lisa, you can come get him now because no one's paying attention to me. (laughs) That Word is kind of interesting. He could have chosen any way to express Jesus. See you, bud. But he chose this term... The word. Now, let's think about this for just a second. Why did he choose to call him the word? Does anybody have any ideas? This is one I'll throw it out to you. I'm not being rhetorical now. Why did he call him the word? I mean, especially kids. Why do you think he called him the word? Why do you think he called him the word? Oh, he did write the Bible. You are profound theologically. Very good. Why else would he call him the word? Yeah. Okay, good. So it expresses who he is. Yeah, go ahead, sweetie. Because he's holy. Your parents have done a good job in your life. (laughs) There's another hand somewhere over here I saw. Was it? Oh, sorry. He spoke all things into existence. Here's the thing about God. God is always seeking to communicate with us. He could have called him the action. In the beginning was the action, and the action was with God, and the action was God. But what's the problem if he would have been called the action? What's the problem with actions and expressing who someone is? It's what? Yeah, it's incomplete. You can't kind of understand it. He could have called him the feeling. How well do do feelings express what we're thinking? He could have been called the thought. But the thing that he was trying to help us understand about that baby that was born is he was the word. He was expressing who God was to the world. 
Now that's a pretty powerful statement to think about that we're going to get to when we get to John 1.18 is that when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, he was the very expression of God. In fact, Jesus says this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was the heart of God going out to people. But something else happens in verse 4, and you can throw verse 4 up there, John 1, 4, is that we also learn something else about him. It says, in him, he said, was life. Do we have 1, 4? 1, 4. There it is. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The idea being that this one who we talked about over here that spoke everything into existence, in that little baby was actually life. It wasn't that he became life, he was life. And we know this, that everywhere that Jesus went, he just changed the world. The way that we just sometimes think about life and the way that you see it through the rest of the book of John is what a lot of you are coloring right now or maybe drawing. Think about it this way, whenever Jesus went into something, he just gave life to it. One of my favorite stories comes up in John 9 and there's a man that had been blind since birth and he's sitting there begging and all of a sudden Jesus walks up to him and gives him his sight back and the whole thing is the question is why was this guy born blind and Jesus has to say to them this man was born blind for this very moment because Jesus was going to bring life. He came in and touched the things that were affected by the fall, the stuff that happened back in the whole reality of Adam and Eve falling away. There were people that were crippled. And what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't stay back from them. Like Christian talked about last week, God is not somehow needing to be antiseptic away from anything. He went in there and when people were weak, he would touch them. The people that had needed their eyes fixed, one of my grossest things that he does are two things. One, he spits and he makes mud and he puts it on people's eyes and I would have been like, bro, seriously? That's how you're gonna heal me? And the other times it talks about he grabs their tongue. Excuse me, it's my tongue. Why? Jesus was showing that he came to undo all the effects of the fall. He calms the winds. He walked on water. He would go and he would touch and talk to the people that no one else would talk to, like the Samaritan woman at the well. He interacted with children that were, in that case, to be seen and not heard, but there was Jesus inviting them to him. It's just everywhere that Jesus went, he brought life. And not only did he bring life, but it says in him that he was light. This word light has this connotation that he came in and he exposed things. He showed them for what they are. In other words, people heard him and they said, oh my gosh, this dude, he's true and he's honest. He tells it like it is. He's transparent. He's not like all these other people. When they saw him, they just saw somebody so different. John had talked about him. When you get up to John 1, 6 through 9, he had promised that this guy was going to come. You got that one, 1, 6 through 9? Am I messing you up? There we go. Look at verse 9. He said, there was a true light which gives light to everyone which was coming into the world. That God, in his relentless pursuit of humanity that was living in darkness at that particular time, sent his son as the word, the communication of God, to help to be able to reach out to a world that was desperate, wondering, why is this world so messed up? And everywhere he went, he changed it, he brought life. Now, here's what I want you to do, you kids that have been coloring. Hopefully, you've got some of your colors right now. 
Now, if you've got something that you've colored right now, hold it up for me real quick, could you? Some of, those, some of you that have been coloring, can I see it? Okay, in the very back, oh, is that my daughter? You don't get to be in. Um, okay, Brianna, what were you coloring? What is it? I can't see it. Excuse me, I'm having a parental child problem here. What is it? I'm supposed to guess? You are obviously not the word. What? Jesus healing. Well, somebody over here that has one up. Who else has one up? What about you in the back over here? What did you, you color? Okay, Jesus on the cross. Okay, what did you color? Good, Jesus calms the storm. Good. One over here. Is that you, Al? Is that your arm? <laughs> Whose who is it? You colored it? What'd you color? Right on. So Jesus loves the children. Now, the thing that we're going to try to talk about, you can put them down. You guys did great. You did awesome. You're way better at coloring than I am. The idea that John is trying to get across is, is that everything that Jesus touches He undoes the nastiness of the fall. That's why when we get to John 1.14, he says, this word became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. The idea is tabernacle. Instead of the people going to the tabernacle, the idea was God was coming to them. And it says we beheld his glory, that, that we've seen the amazingness of who he is. He's the same God that caused lightning to come all over the Mount Sinai. But then he's going to explain the glory a little bit differently in John 1.14. He's going to say this, and he was full of grace and truth. That word grace is so interesting. It means beauty. The idea is, is that everything Jesus touched He made beautiful. He undid the nasty effects of the fall. John 1.18 comes along and he also then says in John 1.18, this was the heart of the Father. This is what he wanted us to get. And in John 1.16, John has to tell people, and that's what I experienced with Jesus. He absolutely transformed my life. When we talk about that baby He was a baby that came to undo all the effects of the fall and to make it beautiful the way that God intended. To undo it so that we could be men and women as God intended us to be. He came offering a life that was a life abundantly. Everything about this ministry of Jesus was held in this idea that he came to fix the problems. But the problem with the world is, we find out in verse 10 and 11, is the world still rejected him. Now the question is, why did they reject him? Here's why I think the world rejects him, and we're going to find out a little bit as we move along. The world rejected him because they wanted everything else fixed. They didn't want themselves fixed. You'll see this in every person that started walking up to him. They would say to him, what must I do to be saved? How do we fix these particular problems? And he would always get back into their personal lives. And he would start talking to them intimately about who they are. In John 3, we see this guy, Nicodemus, who comes along and he's like, you know, tell me, teacher, you must be the incredible teacher because of all these things you've done. What must I do? And he goes right to the internal reality of who he is. 
John 4, the woman at the well walks up to him. What must I do? And he gets to this point where he says, you've got to be changed internally. They wanted everything else fixed. Isn't that the case with us today? We don't want to deal with me. We want to deal with all the stuff outside of us. In fact, I would say this. We don't see the problem our country is us. We see the problem our country is who? Them. Whoever the them is. It's not my problem. It's my spouse's problem. It's not my problem. It's the kids God gave me. It's not my problem. It's the parents that God gave me. It's not my problem, it's my boss. It's not my problem, it's all these other things. And in John 3, 20, Jesus comes along and he's talking to this Nicodemus and he says to him, listen to me, the reason that we don't wanna deal with who he really is is because we'll have our evil deeds exposed. Jesus wasn't coming to just this random group of people. He was coming to us and saying, if I'm gonna fix the world, it's gotta start with you. See, when you look around a room like this, you may not realize it, but we're a group of screwed up people. We all struggle, don't we? We battle ongoingly to be the people that God's created us to be. Maybe you're someone that doesn't know Jesus even, and you're wondering, what is this life even about? Jesus was coming to a group of people, and the thing about it is, is do we even acknowledge that we're a group of people in desperate need of a Savior? Not just a one-time act where we come to him and acknowledge the fact that we need him, but ongoingly acknowledge we need him. See, this life that he was offering was a life that would be transformative, that would be this lifetime endeavor, this life that would keep changing us over and over and making us into new people. It was a life that the reason that he died is that the concept that, that we talked about when Kyle talked about it on the day that, that, that literally that Adam and Eve sinned, you will surely die. That this idea through the tents and all these different things that God knew something have to, had, would have to die to pay for sin. And the beauty of who Jesus is is that we don't have to die for our sin. That's why he came to undo the effects of the fall and to make things beautiful. He's not wanting just to do it out there. He's wanting to make your life beautiful. I sound like Oprah right now. <laughs> and I'm serious when I say this. I think we forget to believe the fact that he has the power and the capacity because of not only his work on the cross, but the coming out of the tomb to produce life in us and make us into this people that we never imagined we could be. I think when we look at our kids or we look at our friends, we think that somehow we need to fix them on the outside. My kids' problem is not on the outside, it's deep within them in their heart. It's getting to this point in people's lives where we realize they cannot be changed unless Jesus does a work in who they are. This is what John's trying to get across. And in verse 12, he comes along then and he says this though. To all those who do receive him, he says, to those who believe on his name, he will grant the right to be children of God. See, I don't know where all of you are in this room right now. I don't know where you're at as far as in, in understanding who Jesus is, but let me tell you this. Jesus is looking to do a work in you because he relentlessly is pursuing you to be with you. 
Maybe you're looking at your life and you know that you've really messed some things up, that things are out of whack. And I'm even talking to a lot of you kids in here. It's important to grasp this, that God wants to do a work in you. But the first thing I have to do is come to the knowledge, though, that I can't fix myself. Oh, we try, don't we? I'm trying to lose weight right now because I have weight to lose. And I go to the gym to try to fix myself, and I, and I go and I lift to fix myself, and I try to eat right to fix myself. But my problem with this spare tire that's there for the winter, <laughs> keep me warm, is not there. The problem is inside of me. It's my heart. He wants to change us. I think we miss out on so much realizing that God has in store for us this reality of being the men and women that he's designed us to be. He's taken the pressure off in one way and realizing that I can't change my kids. Only he can. I can't change my parents. Only he can. I can't change my friends. I can't change my workplace. I can't change all these different things, but he wants to change me. And this is what John, the old guy that was talking about the baby, wanted us to grasp and grapple with. Is this Jesus that wants to change us, but not just one time. It's us constantly coming back to him and saying, I can't change me. And abiding in him, John 15, 15 and he changes us over and over again. If you don't know Jesus today, today's the day. Maybe you've kind of gone through life maybe wondering who this Jesus is. We would love to talk with you about him. Maybe you're even somewhere in here and and there's so many different people in so many different spots that have tried to change yourself but you keep messing things up. You're caught in sin, whatever that sin might be, that, that effects of the fall, missing the fact that Jesus wants to change you. Maybe it's bitterness in your heart that you've developed over time. Maybe it's a, an addiction problem you've, you've had over time. Maybe it's just whatever it might be, you've just realized, I am just stuck in it and I need to get out. And the only way to get out of it is not to fix yourself, but to come to the one that in him was life. Jesus is the only means of fixing your problem. And if you want prayer today, we would love to pray with you. And I would say over this Christmas season, don't miss Jesus in the middle of it. If you want life to your Christmas, don't just try to relive a fairy tale of Christmas of us ice skating with bloomers on a lake. Jesus is here to transform your Christmas season. So whenever you're hanging out with your dysfunctional family, Jesus is there to change them too. He's called us to be a changed people, and Josh is gonna talk about this next week, not just changed internally, but a group of people that bring the beauty of Jesus Christ to a world. And let me tell you this, there's gonna come a day when the Father's gonna look at the Son and say, go get your children, I'm gonna transform the world. But in the meantime, don't miss this. The same Jesus who brought grace upon grace that John experienced, and the promise of the whole book of the Gospel of John is, is that Jesus can change you. If right now you're thinking, that's nice, but that's not me, then I'm talking to you. Jesus can transform you. Amen? Amen. All right, Jesus, thank you so much for today. 
Father, would you help us now as a group of people to realize that you truly are King of kings and Lord of lords and you came to this earth to create for yourself a people and to make them different. Father, if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you today, would you do a transformative work in their life? God, would you draw them to yourself where they realize that they can't fix their sin problem, their mess problem, that whatever problem they have, that only you can do the transformative work in their life. Father, would you help us as a church to stop seeing the problems outside of ourselves, but would you help us to see the problems in us? But Father, would you also realize that while greater is he who's in the world, or greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, help us to get that. Help us to believe that. And then God, out of that new life, would you springboard men and women and teenagers and kids all over the city challenging our world that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, the word of God, the word become flesh that is here to seek and to save the lost. Father, would you do that work in our church in your precious name, amen.